0: Praise God. If, you, uh, if you're new here or you're just visiting or you've, uh, uh, maybe you're, just, uh, you're visiting family or anything like that, I just want to welcome you to Emmanuel Worship Center. We're really glad uh, that you've joined us on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, we're really excited about what God is doing here at Emmanuel. My name is Andrew uh, Garcia. I'm, uh, I'm one of the associate pastors here at the church and uh, one of the teaching pastors, and so it's really a great honor Uh, to bring God's Word today. I hope that you're blessed today by what God has to tell us. We have been going through uh, the book of Ephesians. Great, awesome book in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, you are welcome to open up your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. We'll be in verses 7 through 16 today. If you didn't bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible today, you're welcome to uh, look on the screens. We have all the scriptures on the screens, as well as some notes that I'd like to share with you. Um, I'm really excited to get in God's Word. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and just start by reading the very first verse uh, that we're studying today. And that's Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians 4, 7. Here it is. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christianity is not just what we do for God. Somebody say amen. Not at all. Christianity is really a response to what God in Christ has done for us. Amen? And so sometimes we look at the Bible and say, okay, what can I do for God to make God happy? That's really not what Christianity is about. Christianity is seeing in Scripture what God has done for us and us responding, right, in a way where we say, okay, God, I see what you have done, and I trust you. I love you. I serve you. It's a response because God goes first. Amen? And this is really at the core of what we believe as Christians. As believers, we live by the teaching of something called the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the good news. And the good news is that, that Jesus came to save us. Amen? That's the good news. And the core of the gospel is bound up in one word. It's really bound up in one word. Anybody want to take a stab at what that one word is? Love is a good one. What's another one? What's another one? What? Grace. Grace. That's the word I'm looking for today. The core of the gospel is bound up in this word called grace. It it, it is the very first definition of Christianity. And so how, how do we know this? The interesting thing about God, how many of you, you like to know about who God is? You're trying to learn about who God is in your life. What does he want? Who is this? This master of the universe, the creator of all things, the creator of the world. Who is he? What is he like? How, how can we get to know him better? Well, one of the things that we do when we read the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament is when God does things or when God says things through prophets or through his son Jesus or, or gives, um, gives revelation to his people, We we learn about the nature and the character of God. Amen. We learn about like like if I were to go to your home, let's say you invited me for dinner and um, open invitation. You can invite me anytime. Uh, So uh, if if you were to invite me to your home, like, for instance, um, uh, there's a gentleman in our church. His name is Michael. Michael invited me to come in and eat at his home. And he had he had made some awesome pork pork. I'm not really sure, so, some burgers. And uh, what what you get to see in a person, especially in their home and in their environment, is their character, right? You get to see their hospitality, their generosity, their love, their care, right? And and sometimes um, you, you, you see things that maybe are, are unexpected. Wow, I didn't really know that. One of the most interesting and powerful things characters characteristics one of the most amazing natures about God is that God is a giver understand God is a giver in fact Jesus said it is more blessed to what give than to what receive right God wants us to be givers not takers because God is a giver amen God through Peter he called himself the God of grace so the good news of Jesus Christ the gospel is really a gospel of grace. Grace is at the heart of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So grace is really about giving. That's what grace is. It's, 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 it's the character of grace to give. And by the way, it gives in a measure that is unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and free because it is the character of to give. It is the character of grace to give. Grace is not something that is dependent on the receiver. It is dependent only on the giver. Let me say that again, because I know you guys are like, say that one more time. Grace is not something that is dependent on the receiver. So if somebody is giving you something you know, most often if you get a promotion at work, right, you've earned it, hopefully. Uh, somebody saw your work, somebody saw your interest, somebody saw your ambition, right? And an employer looked at that and said, You deserve a promotion. You have earned it, right? It's dependent on the receiver. But grace does not work this way. Grace works in a way that says, You know, despite what you have done, despite your failures, despite your weaknesses, despite your sin, God sees you and says, I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you my son. I'm giving you my love. Right? Despite, despite what we have done. It's not dependent on us as receivers. It's dependent fully on the giver. It is self-motivated, self-generated by God, undeserved, unmerited, unearned. It is a free act of God giving. because God's a giver. And that is the core of the gospel. Now, let me stretch you a little bit, all right? I'm going I'm to add a second dimension to this. It is not only the act of giving, but watch this. It is the act of self-giving that best defines grace let me let me let me say it this way grace is self-donation okay grace in its most noble terminology is a self-donation of god to man all right so just hang on to that thought it's a it's a, a very strategic thought when god gives right god's a giver amen God's a giver. Amen? You with me? Right? When God gives, listen, it is not the object that he gives that is significant. It is not the things that God gives you that is significant. It is that God gives himself that is significant. Okay? It is a self-donation. And so we can say very simply then that grace is really... God giving himself to an undeserving sinner. This is amazing. This is amazing. It's this level of kindness and this one level of grace to give a sinner something, but to give a sinner himself is everything. Amen? See, we look so much to what, how God can show up and give me something in my life that I am needing, but the best gift that God gives by his grace is himself. What in the world ever made you, God, want to give yourself to me, right? To enter into an eternal relationship with me. In the face and in the light of what I have done, for him to look at me and say, I want to give you myself. It's this act of grace. The Bible says, Jesus said, you remember this? God so loved the world that he gave his only what? His only son. It's an act of self-giving because the father and the son, Jesus said, are. He said, I and the father are, I, are one, right? He said, before Abraham, I am. Jesus clearly in Scripture claimed to be God, and that's why they put Jesus on the cross. Because he was, he was receiving worship, forgiving sins, and claiming, I am. And he said, "I." And when you've seen the Father, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus very clearly says, I and the Father are one. And so when the Father sends his son Jesus to us, he's sending himself. God gives himself. God is a giver and it doesn't change. And in fact, I just want to show you something really quick. In Ephesians chapter two, verse seven says this, it says, in order that in the coming ages, look at that Ephesians two, seven, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus he, he just continues to give. And he, he says, I'm not going to stop here, but even in 2,000 years, I'm going to keep on giving. That even right now, we can be a people that receive from God because he's a giver. Amen? So God is a God of grace who self-donates to us, who puts us in his life, who grants to us his son, his kingdom, who gives it to us his inheritance. And he does it all based on his kindness. Um, how many of you like talking to kids? You like having conversations with kiddos? There was a show out there, it used to be called Kids Say the Darndest Thing. You ever seen that show? Um, I know that for my kids when they were younger, they would ask me some really interesting questions. You know, young kids have a way of uh, really pulling out what you really believe about God, right? They'll ask you some really interesting questions and um, on uh, Wednesday night, I've been helping out with ranger kids, little ones. Uh, they're uh, kindergarten, first and second grade, little ones. And uh, these kids are interesting because they, they ask me some questions that really make me think about uh, what is the best way to tell them, right? Because it's not an adult mind. You've got to get really childlike with them. So one of the kids asked me, he said, where's Jesus? I thought, oh, that's a good question. That's really good. He died. Yes, he died. And then, and then he, resur- he resurrected. Yes, he came back to life. Yes, yes, he came back to life. So where is he? Well, Well, he's in heaven. He's in heaven. But what's he doing? It's an interesting question, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, where is he? You know, he he came back to life, but where is he at? And, and, you know, if he came back to life, and why didn't he just stay here? Right? It's a good question. And it's a a question that Paul answers for us today. And we're going to move from verse 7 to verse 8. So, again, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, moving to verse 8. It says, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What he's talking about is, is the ascension of Jesus after Jesus rose from the grave? Remember, we talked about this in our series in Acts in the book of Acts. We talked about that after Jesus rose again, he showed up to a bunch of people, he showed them his scars, he ate, he dined with them, and um, especially the apostles, upwards of 500 people. And then it says that Jesus ascended, amen. He ascended, that's what he's talking about. And it says that when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse nine, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Now, now the reason, so Paul is basically saying, you know, I know this is confusing that Jesus ascended, but the point is that before he ascended, he de- descended. What Paul is talking about is the Trinitarian nature that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, and that, that at one point in time, Jesus Christ was over all creation. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 says that in the beginning, Jesus was there, right? There was that he is preeminent. He's the image of the invisible God, and he created all things and sees all things. And John chapter 1 says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. Even in, even in creation, when we read in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. In other words, it's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, so Paul is saying that, you know, there was a time that, 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 that Jesus Christ was reigning and ruling in heaven with God the Father. And then at some point, Jesus comes off of his throne. Heaven, is it a nice place? Really nice place. He left his riches. He left his glory and entered into human history. Okay? This is what he's talking about, that he descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. How does he fill the whole universe but by his spirit? This is what Paul is talking about. This is an amazing passage, and it's so interesting to me. It's so interesting that when you read this text, Jonathan did an amazing job talking about the unity that we have in Christ as a body, that we should come together and be unified. And then all of a sudden, Paul is talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. He's talking about unity and love and having one mind, that we should be together as a community. Amen. And then all of a sudden, he talks about how Jesus went up. He was up, he came down, and he went back up. It's just like, well, what, what, is this, what does this have to do with you as the body? I see, I'm not even at my main theme for, for today's sermon. I haven't even gotten there yet. I haven't even told you what my, what, my, what, what, what really the meat of my, my sermon is today. Really, I'm trying to set you up to understand what Jesus has done for us. I re, it's really important that you see this amazing gospel, that you understand that that, that God saw humanity and the suffering and the sin and the hatred and the rebellion. And God said, I don't want my people to suffer. I need to save them from, from damnation and hell and death. So I will send my son Jesus to save them. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. It's grace. It's grace given. So where's Jesus? Well, Jesus is in heaven with believers. It says that he descended and ascended, comes down from heaven, and he was God. He said he was God. And the Bible says that when he descended into the lower parts of the earth, we, we see very clearly that when Jesus died on the cross, right, he was buried in the ground, literally, physically dead. And then three days later, what did he do? He rose again. Amen. He ascended from his grave back to life, conquering sin and death. Death. So maybe you've ever wondered, have you ever wondered about those people in the Old Testament who, uh, wait, how, where, where did they go? What happened to them? I mean, they were in faith, right? Abraham was saved by faith, right? We, what, what happened to all those people, right? Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, so their sins were weren't atoned for. So so how could they enter into the presence of a holy and righteous God? What happened to those people? Well, their souls were waiting for Jesus ascending. And when Jesus died on the cross, he atoned for the sins of all God's people, including yours and including mine, of all those Old Testament folks who had faith, all of God's children in Israel, he died, he, that, that Jesus atoned for all their sins. And when he ascended, he took those who had been waiting. Amen? He took them all up. So where is Jesus today? He's in his heavenly kingdom. And he's reigning, and he's ruling over all people of all times, of all places. And with him are those who have died in faith. Now, let me get to the meat of my, my sermon today. I've done a really great job. I'm 22 minutes in. Praise God. Somebody say praise God. That's really good. That was my intro. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't shake your head like that. Listen, this is difficult for me. They only gave me about 45 minutes every Sunday, and I'm serious. If y'all wanted, we could go an hour and a half. I promise you, and it would be fantastic, but people wouldn't come back probably. So. Um, So the first question that this kid asked me was, where's Jesus? And so the second one is, well, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's Jesus doing? Right? It's a good question. See, some of you, you're going to wake up. How many of you, Sunday night, before you go to bed, you have to open up your calendar and look at what meetings you have on your calendar? How many of y'all do that? How many of you Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, my, you know, I have to set my alarm because I have to find out, do I have any early, sometimes I have like 6 a.m. meetings. I'm like, man, I gotta check my calendar, right? Check on your phone. But you got, maybe, maybe you have a, an action item list or a task list or a punch list of things that you have to do, that you have to remember, right? What's on Jesus' list of tomorrow? What, what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus focused on? What does Jesus care about, right? What is Jesus paying attention to? What is, what is Jesus' first priority? Are we, are we abandoned? You know, are we, are we orphans? Is it like a a dad who has a family, and then he turns his back and walks out on his family, and all the kids are just devastated because dad's gone, and now we're on our own? Is it some, is something like that? There's this this thing called deism where, yes, there's a God. Yes, he's out there, but he's not really involved in your day-to-day. He doesn't really care about you. Right? Is, that, is that the God of the Bible? Is that Jesus? He left, he went back up, and he's like, figure it out. Good luck. One of the most interesting statements that Jesus ever made, he says, it's actually better for you if I go so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing statement. I get I already know I'm going to get emotional on that one. Um, his ascension makes way for the Holy Spirit. Jesus has not abandoned us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus gives to us his Holy Spirit. I have uh, two little nephews, and I do the same thing I, do, I, do, I, I used to do with my, my son when he was real little. I used to ask him all the time, where's Jesus? And, and I used to get him to say, in my heart, in my heart. And i get them to put their hand over here because I wanted my kids and my nephews, I want them to know, hey, Jesus is right there with them all the time. I think some of you guys need to realize that, right? Like, where's Jesus? He's right here. I got him. I got him. That, and it's not, a, it's not wrong Well, he's in heaven. Well, is he here? Is he over there? Is he over there? Yes. The answer is yes, right? Because through the Holy Spirit, we can experience the lasting and fullness, the presence of God in our lives daily. Amen. that the the nature of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is made present to us in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the relationship that you have with God is so dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? So what is he doing right now? Jesus' priority right now is to send us his Holy Spirit to empower believers to serve the church. Jesus' priority for his people is his church. What is Jesus doing? What is, what is Jesus serving right now? His church. Don't think about this building. Don't think about Emmanuel Worship Center, right? We've, we've talked about this, that this is not the church. Who's the church? We are the church. Amen. Right? The focus is not on these walls or 528. What is it? Uh, FM 528. I forgot the address. 24, 2427 FM 528, Alvin, Texas, 7751. That's where the church. No! No! That's not, that's not it. Amen? That's not it. Right? That's not it. Somebody say, I am the church. I am the church. Right, and Jesus' priority is us, His people. Amen. That's that's where he, that's what He's doing. He's focused on you. He's paying attention to the church. He's devoted to the church. He's concerned for the church. He's working in the church through the person, presence, and power of God, the Holy Spirit. And here is here's the kicker. That if your priorities are in line with Jesus' priorities, then the church will be a greater priority for you. Is the church a priority for you? And I know that, you know, man, I've been hurt in the church. I've been rejected in the church. I'll never forget. Um, we had a young, young girl who was uh, a part of the praise and worship team. This is a long, this was like 20 years ago. She was a part of the uh, praise and worship team. And uh, she was going through some stuff, but she was singing. And I'll never forget the band. We were practicing. This is at the old building. And uh, we were practicing. And she walked in into the building. And she saw all of us playing. And we looked at her. She was running a little late. But just naturally, like, the band is facing the door, right? So she walked in. And we looked at her. I didn't think of anything. I just started, kept playing, right? We're in the middle of a song practicing. And uh, all of a sudden, she doesn't come to Sunday service. And then I find out she's leaving the church. But well, what happened? She was offended that nobody said hi to her when she walked in. And she left the church. And I just think, it's like, you know, the church has its faults and its failures, but do you know that Jesus is really interested in how we are as a church, as a body of believers, and how we deal with the fences? See, see, if you can't come to church and focus on people, you have to focus on what God is doing on his people. Amen. That God is working in his people, and you will see sins, right? You will see sick people. You will see failing people. If you look hard enough, you can find, and every single church that's out there, you will fi- if you look hard enough, you will find some, some stuff. But our focus can't be on man. Our focus is on what God is doing in man, right, through the power of his Holy Spirit. And, 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 and to, to neglect the church or ridicule the church is really to neglect the body of Christ. It's to reject Jesus himself. So for God to strengthen, edify, and build a church, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. And when he sends his Holy Spirit to us, do you know that God also gives us gifts? he gifts us amen he gifts his people so i want to show you a quick a quick little list right here in ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it says this so christ himself gave the apostles he gave the prophets he gave the evangelists he gave the pastors and teachers and verse 12 very very important verse to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Why does he give gifts and leaders? Why does, why did, so, so here we go. Jesus left, he sends his Holy Spirit, and he empowers and gives gifts to his people. Why does he do that? To equip the saints for the works of service, of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, um, there are, if you want to write, if you're like, if you have the gift of administration, you're taking notes right now, that's cool. I like that. It's awesome. You can uh, you can take notes right here. I'm going to give you four key uh, passages in Scripture where you can go and look up more uh, gifts of the Spirit. We call them spiritual gifts, all right? They're found in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, Romans 12, 6 through 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, which is what we're doing right now. Um, I'll leave that up for a second. Let me just tell you that the lists that you see here are not all the same, okay? They're not all the same, And, and, and there really isn't some comprehensive list, okay, and I don't believe that it is necessary, um, this is necessarily the limit of all spiritual gifts. I'm not gonna read them all, but there are a few things I wanna say about the giftings that God gives to believers. We see some amazing gifts here gifts of mercy, gifts of generosity, gifts of love, gifts of hospitality, gifts of faith. I mean, some amazing gifts gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom. How I many you know some people that are really wise, right? The Bible doesn't say when you're going <clears throat> when you're going through something, go and seek counsel. What does it say? Go and seek what? Wise counsel, right? Uh, so there's all these beautiful gifts that that God gives as believers. But what I really want to focus on the rest of my time here is something a little different. I wanna I wanna just tell you what God uh, says about you. There's three things that I want to pull out of here. Number one is you're gifted. Everybody say, I'm gifted. Every Christian, every believer, all right, every single one of you is gifted and called to ministry. Somebody say, Amen. Every Christian. There's no Christian that's left out. There's no such thing as a non-gifted believer. Amen? There's no Christian that got cheated. I didn't get a gift. What about me, God? Not in God's kingdom, buddy. (laughs) We were talking about a story. Me and Jonathan were really little. We were at McDonald's. And uh, Jonathan had a birthday party. And if you've never seen one of Jonathan's... uh, Uh, pictures of how his mom used to dress him up for his birthday party he had a turquoise suit on full blast tie everything turquoise little bell bottoms not huge bell bottoms but just like little because it was still in the 80s and and a turquoise awesome picture well when Jonathan opened up his gift he opened it all right it was amazing I was right next to him and I and I showed him I had the exact same gift I got one too just to you know And uh, it was like we, it was like, you know, that. I look at all you guys. You guys are just so gifted. Man, you're just so gifted. I like the way you play, Andrew. You just play piano. I wish God did something like that for me. Some of you have never heard this before. Nobody's ever told you that. You have a meaningful, valuable, purposeful contribution to make to the church. He's like, yeah, but I've done so many wrong things, Andrew. There's no way that God would want me involved in ministry. You are exactly the type of person that God wants involved in ministry. Exactly. It's like, you know, when Jesus came to find his disciples, he didn't go to the religious. Amen. He didn't go to the guys who knew all the scripture. He didn't go to the guys who dressed right and spoke. He went to Peter. Peter was a loudmouth, an arrogant loudmouth. He found a tax collector. Tax collectors were like the mafia of the day. You know what? I'm going to change the world. I wonder who who we could find. Let's go to that tax collector. They hate him. Well, how are you going to change the world? I'm going to change the world by using him. It's like, don't ever think that you can't be used by God because of your past. It's not you doing it anyway. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit in you, amen? You can do things that, that matter, And help people who need you. And there is a need with your name on it. It's like God looks at the church and he says, okay, we're going to need this. We're going to need this. We're going to need this. And so I'm going to give them this ability. And I'm going to give them this capacity. And I'm going to give them this experience. And then they're all going to come together. And it's going to be far better. Because through all of that, I'm going to save some souls through the gospel. You're gifted. Say, I am gifted. You have a gift. You have a gift. Number two, you are unique. Your gifts are unique. Listen, if everybody who had a gift had a gift that was the same as everybody else, then the whole lot of us wouldn't be necessary, amen? Somebody could fade away and we could stick somebody else in. Well, we don't need him anymore. No. You have a gift and you're needed and you have a valuable contribution to make. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there's no such thing as identical twins. You know that? You know that, right? No such thing. Take any set of twins, I promise you, you will find differences you will find differences in them. Because God is a God of distinction. He's a God of originality. He never does the same thing twice, amen? He doesn't make two of the people the same. All of us are unique. And all of us have a unique contribution to make to the church. And if you don't do what God has enabled and gifted you to do, then nobody's going to do it. Let me remind you that the giftedness, the enablement that God's given you is a gift from Jesus Christ. Right? The gift that you have is given to you by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid a price. Amen? He paid a price for you and gave you His Holy Spirit. Amen? That should put a little pressure on us, right? Amen? Amen? To to heed the call that God has put on us. To not reject, I know you died on the cross. All that stuff you're trying to give me, it's cool. I'll just take salvation. Christianity doesn't work like that, friends. You understand? We, we, We have been given by something that was costly and valuable to God. And God is looking at you and said, I've made you this way. And I've given you these gifts. Use them. Number three, you're gifted, you're unique, and number three, it's not for you. It's not for you. Your gift is not for you. Who's it for? For the church. Here's the last few verses of our study today. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. Hey, you know, know, I was thinking about that. Speaking the truth in love. Is it more important to to have the truth or to be loved? Yes, it is important to have truth and love. Somebody who says they love you but won't tell you the truth doesn't really love you. Amen? We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love As each part does its work. You have a part to play. But never forget that your gift is not about your talent or about your reputation or to get people to think more highly of you. Jesus didn't die on the cross, ascend, give you his Holy Spirit, call you into service, give you gifts, all to make much of you. Amen? He's not like... Oh my gosh, I just want to make so much of Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan. I'm just going to give him these gifts. Everybody look how great Jonathan is now. He's so amazing. Everybody look at Jonathan. not the way it works, amen? That is not in the interest of God. The interest of God in giving gifts to his people, amen, is to build his church. It's not about you. It's about him. And and Christianity is not—it's not a spectator sport. The worst thing any church churchgoer can do is be a hearer and not a doer. Amen. James says that every believer is called to be a minister of some sort. We all have unique gifts given to us by God for the edification of the whole church. one of the things that I've been learning more and more in this uh, role that God has blessed me with as an associate pastor at the church is learning like what the real definition is of being a pastor. And I do that a lot where I say, yes, I'm a pastor because, um, because probably sinfully, I neglect that role in a way that uh, I don't like titles. I don't like... Hey, I'm a pastor, you know, because I feel um I feel sometimes unworthy for that position. I feel um, I oh mean, I'm just coming out with all kinds of honesty today, aren't I? Uh just a little bit like um I haven't done the work that our senior pastors have done and put in for you know 50 years, 60 years of their life, 70 years of their life. And so um You know, I have I have our pastors and other pastors that I know in such a high regard that I'm like, I'm at the you know, I'm just kind of like. But but I don't think God is interested in that so much as he is in my willingness to help you and equip you to do what God what he wants you to do. Right. It's not me to for me to decide what your gift is. Right. As the body. It's not for, I, I, I'm not the one who said, I'm not the one who who looked in eternity past and and molded you in your mother's womb and said, I'm going to make them like this and, and, and give them this character and this nature and this attitude and these talents and this proclivity all to look at it and say, well, you know, that's not my job. That's not my job. My job is to get you to hear the word and trust in the word of God, and trust in his promises, and to believe what God says about you. That's my job. What does God say about you? And one of, the pa- one of a pastor's main duties is to equip his people for works of service. Paul portrays the church as a body. Amen? He does this in Corinthians. If you go read Corinthians and those gifts, he says that, he says that the church is a body. And he says that every member, right, is unique and active and all contribute something important to the life of the body. And then he says this in Corinthians 12, 26, he says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. What this means is that if, if one member isn't able to do with uh, isn't doing what God has gifted that member to do, right? Then the whole body suffers. It makes it hard on the whole body, right? When one member isn't doing its part. And uh, I, I saw this story. There's a picture. By the way. Go Astros! Go Astros! Okay. All right. Hey. Okay. Okay. That's it. We see your Astros jerseys. It's enough in the house of the Lord. I almost wore my Alvarez jersey, but I... how many how many of you watched all 18? Who watched who's who are dedicated fans watched all 18 innings? Come on. What? Who watched all to 18 innings? Come on. All right. Praise God for you. It was because of you that we won. And we're going to our sixth straight ALCS. Praise the Lord. In the 1930s, there was a pitcher named Dizzy Dean, Dizzy Dean. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher. And uh, in 1934, he won 30 games. I believe that's only been done once or twice since the 1930s. It's crazy feat. 30 games. Hall of Fame guy. Well, in 1937, he was in an all-Star game. And he took a hard line drive off of his toe and it broke his toe. It should not have been a career ending injury, but Dean was rushed. Dizzy Dean was rushed back into the lineup before the fracture was completely healed. And he pitched several, several games and he was favoring his toe. And He wasn't pitching normal. That in order to make his pitches, he had to change his delivery. It was unnatural. And his arm never fully recovered because of the way he was pitching, all due to his broken toe. His career was over. Something similar happens in any church where there are non-functioning members. Amen? The active members of the church who are getting involved, they become overextended and then we become less effective as a body. Even if you think you're the most insignificant member, even if you think like I'm the toe of the church, we are all designed to play a vital role, amen, all of us. The spiritual gifts we are given are not for our own sake, but they're for the benefit of the whole body. I just want to tell you, you know, when, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he did it to give you a gift because he knew that the gift that you would get would be to edify the people that are around you. He's very interested in what we are doing and what you are doing as a person. I just want to challenge you with that today. He gives it to you with an expectation that you will take the gift that you have been given and you will pass it on, amen? That you will use it to the church's benefit. What a, what a, what a response to the kindness and grace and generosity of Jesus Christ to not use the gift that He has given you. It's like, you know, imagine Christmas morning you went out and you found the best gift for your wife, right? You men, you have wives, and you're like, oh, what am I going to get her this year? And you go out your way, you, you think about it, and you say, I'm going to get her the most amazing vacuum cleaner ever. It's going to be so amazing. And she opens that gift, and she gives you that Look. I mean, how hard would it, would be so devastating, right? Like her, but then, but then like in a week, she's going to need to vacuum and use that gift. Amen. Use it, but she's not going to do that. What's she going to do? She's going to tell you to use it. Amen. You get over here and use that thing and you better do it. You better do it. When God gives us a gift, He wants us to use it. Amen? Don't reject the gift that God has given you. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Use it for the church's benefit. There is nobody that can replace you. Nobody that can replace you. You are here for a reason. It's not to show anybody how great you are. It's not to, I'm not trying to build your ego and say, oh, you're special. That's not the point. We start off like in desperate need for Christ. But when we become saved, we have a contribution to make to the life of the church. Jesus' priority is his church. What is your priority? Don't waste your gift. Amen? Would you stand with me today?